Invesco QQQ believes new innovations create new opportunities. Here's to greater possibilities together. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job's not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Unless you're a genuine stock junkie like yours truly, this can be a pretty boring business. I've been picking stocks for nearly 40 years, so I speak from experience when I say that most days tend to be pretty darn mundane when it comes to things that drive stocks higher or lower, a better quarter, a beaten raise, some wild tweet, a Fed that doesn't get it, one that does, good employment numbers like the one we got last Friday that sends stocks up. Hey, just like today, Dow gaining 147 points, SP advancing 0.53%, NASDAQ climbing 0.75%. But every now and then, every now and then, just when you least expect it, we get something big, something that changes the whole darn game. Something like the innovations that we got yesterday from Apple. Innovations that are not evolutionary, but revolutionary. Frankly, some of us have become a little jaded about these iPhone launches. I mean, we may love the phones. They're always better than the previous versions. But they don't always move the needle when it comes to Apple stock. I know I've been far more focused lately on their service revenue stream, as I love a business model where we pay a company every month without even thinking about it because their service is so darn essential. For the longest time, there was Costco, SiriusXM, Spotify, Netflix, Amazon Prime, a couple of support services in addition to my phone and broadband provider. Then a person in my family lost his phone, someone who remained nameless, failed to take my phone out of my pocket before she put my, before my pants went in the washing machine. And that's all it took. That's all it took to make me realize that Apple's iCloud backup is absolutely essential. I love subscription businesses. They're annuities. They keep the money rolling in quarter after quarter, year after year. The service business also eliminates some of the bumpiness caused by the one-and-done nature of buying an iPhone. You buy the Razor, you got to keep buying those darn blades. Apple's service stream had me so enthralled that I didn't pay much attention to the new phone or the new watch, the, uh, these intros yesterday, especially since I had just gotten new ones over the summer. But when I look at the new iPhone features like the amazing camera, so much for my Sony, the dual phone lines, an absolute must if you travel overseas, and I do, the incredible screens, it makes me very excited. And yes, we got some waterproofing. But let's face it, it's hard to live without iCloud. However, the real breakthrough... The real breakthrough is what they've done with the watch. I've always wanted a smart watch that acts as a real-time health kit. It monitors your heart rate, FDA-approved electrocardiogram, the atrial fibrillation, I'm called AFib monitor, and even the emergency warning system if you fall. Apple's finally given to us all on my watch. Look, I love all the features of my current watch. But as we get older, these health monitors become necessities. And for the elderly or your elderly parents or your grandparents, you're now being foolish if you don't get one of these devices that, was, uh, that we just saw yesterday. I think we should get a break on our health insurance premiums if we wear the new Apple Watch. I think your cardiologist will insist on getting it. My generation is getting older, and once you reach a certain age, it's crazy not to have a device with emergency assistance capabilities, especially ones that kick in if you're unresponsive. 
When my late father got older, we got him one of those gizmos that was supposed to help him let people know if something's wrong. It's almost useless because if your parent falls, they're probably not going to be falling right next to the device. So let me put it this way. As exciting as the new iPhone features are, I think you're being downright negligent if you don't get the new Apple Watch. And here's the big kicker. If you get the watch, you're going to get the phone. That's the way it works. Consider the watch as the gateway drug to the whole Apple ecosystem. Revolutionary, not evolutionary. Just what the doctor ordered. Now, let's go back to the whole concept of innovation because it is incredibly important when you're trying to pick stocks right. When I was a hedge fund manager, the best idea I ever had, the best move I ever caught, was when Intel introduced not the 286 chip, the first big PC game changer, but the 386, the 46, and ultimately the Pentium. Now, I mentioned each iteration. Why? Well, because they were all pretty revolutionary. And I bought stock of Intel ahead of each one. I stayed long the stock for the whole run. It was clear-cut innovation. I felt the same way about Microsoft's Windows. It just kept getting better and better, so I held that stock. As Intel and Microsoft continue to innovate, their stocks continue to make you kill it. And that's a critical lesson. Why? Well, Alphabet's a total innovator. I have no doubt that its Waymo self-driving car technology will continue the tradition of search and YouTube. Amazon's a constant innovator. Remember when it was just a bookseller? Hey, how about Netflix, which went from being a DVD company that had no idea what I, I liked to streaming video company that knows exactly what I want before I know it? What do they all have in common? Well, they're tremendous stocks, with the exception now of Intel. Why? What happened? It stopped innovating. It's now been overtaken by NVIDIA and even AMD. Our rescue mutt, part pit bull, part who knows what, is named NVIDIA. You know what? I just renamed our puggle AMD, and he now answers to AMD, uh, but only when I starve him and then offer him a treat. Hey, he's learning. Revolutionary innovation can trump business cycles, presidential tweets, employment reports, you name it. When a company does something revolutionary, it changes people's behavior and creates demand where it didn't exist before. Of course, when most companies talk about innovation, you know it's mostly it's hot air. Almost everything that's marketed as new and improved is just the same old stuff with new packaging. Much of what passes for innovation is simply an iteration, an incrementally, incrementally better flavor, a taste, a scent, a look, a feel. There are companies that make things easier with software, and that does matter. There are devices that can make your life easier. But in the end, the car drives you from A to B, maybe with electricity instead of gasoline. The house has more creature comforts. Hey, the plane takes as long as it always has. Maybe it's got less fuel. Uh, the PC. All right, it's still PC, even if you add a touchscreen. For the most part, even the drug companies have stopped making real breakthroughs. Rather than innovation, they're more focused on making slight improvements that will let their, extend their patents. But tech? That innovation can move the needle. It can alter behavior. It can be new and improved to the point where you already have, you have it, where you, they obsolete what you already own. And, well, you know what? What you own is no longer good enough. Yesterday, Apple revealed a device that outmoded my watch. Alas, poor, poor watch. Um, am I upset that I bought this one in June? Nah, it's been fine. But the old watch is like, it's like a, you know what? It's like a record player. The new watch leapfrogs the cassette, the 8-track, and the CD. It's the equivalent of a high-fidelity MP3 player. Honestly, it, I also, I, it, it makes me wish I were younger, and not for the usual reasons. No, it's because the kids have a better understanding of what makes the new iPhone and the new watch so revolutionary. But even with the baby boomer's grasp of the product, I know I need it for the second line 
and the better camera, the bottom line. There are a lot of things that can drive a stock higher, but if you want to know what produces massive multi-year gains, it's sustained revolutionary innovation, like what Apple just gave you. When you look at the new phone and the new watch, you realize that Apple's trillion-dollar valuation is indeed deserved. In fact, it could be worth a lot more than that if I am right about the revolution that this great company unleashed in yesterday's product introductions. Let's go to William in Michigan. William! Booyah, Professor Kramer. Booyah, William! I'm 24 years old and a graduate from Michigan State University. Yes! So on behalf of Four Eagles and my Spartans, go green. I like that. I like that analogy. Holy cow, that's a big... There we go. What's up? So I have been investing for a couple of years now, and I use the PEG ratio as a valuation tool. Okay. You mentioned in a previous segment that you like to see a company have a peg rate below one, and if it gets over two, then you consider it too expensive. Well, I think, yeah, I if you got to take some profits. I hold a position in Procter & Gamble, and its peg ratio is currently above two. My question for you is, do I sell my share to take profit? No, no, because no, the, uh, the earnings are underestimated. And anyway, you got that 3.4% yield, which I think is absolutely terrific. I don't want you to sell it. I think they're making a lot of changes there, and they're not where we want it to be. But it's uh, the better, certainly the better Cincinnati stock today than Kroger. Let's go to Mark in North Carolina. Mark. Jimmy the C. Yo, yo. A big, a big hoppy booyah from beautiful Asheville, North Carolina. It home is of beautiful over 35 there. microbreweries. Okay. Wow. I didn't know that. Yeah, I'm a first-time, long-time, and an appreciative subscriber to Action Alert. Oh, thank you so much. We had a good club call today. My question is, where are Altria and the other tobacco companies regarding cannabis? Cigarette smokers are literally dying off, and e-cigarettes are equally negative. Altria has already perfected the manufacture, distribution, and marketing for a highly regulated tax package product like cigarettes. Yet it's the liquor companies that are getting the pot headlines. When will Altria put the Marlboro man out to pasture and replace him with the Rocky Mountain high dude? Is it too early to start accumulating it is Altria? Well, first of all, we don't recommend any tobacco stocks on the show. And that's just my personal choice. Uh, I just can't do it. I, it. It just I can't do it anymore. Uh, Constellation is the way to do it if you want to do. It. Remember, Constellation put a big chunk of canopy, which is down after the close. But no, let's not wait for. Uh, we certainly do not want. to Love my. I love this thing, and it's gone already. I do not want to wait for the tobacco companies because I don't think you should own the tobacco companies. All right, guys. The name. Oh man. What should I throw it away? I'll give it to Regina, my executive producer. I'm going to just give it to her right now. I don't need this anymore. I'm, there's a better one coming. Here, I, I, I have a slice, too, okay? Take a, have a slice. A, a slice in the iPhone, okay? A slice in the, in the, in the watch. All right, anyway, the name of the game, it's innovation. It's what's propelling Apple right now, and it has the ability to trump just about anything. Well, man, tonight, how private company Barstool Sports is swinging for the fences in digital media, plus all aboard the rails. The sector's been soaring, but is it full steam ahead? First. It's a company that's flying. Literally, do not miss my sit-down and flying with the CEO of Aero Environment. And I want you to stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? 
Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Hey, say what's happening, man. Tip T.I. Harris right here, the King Good. Welcome to 10 Songs That Made Me, a new show that invites artists and influencers to explore 10 of the tracks that made them who they are today, as creators and as people. You'll hear the soundtrack to my life in the very first episode, but make sure to tune in every week for new episodes. Follow and listen for free, only on Spotify. One company is taking to the skies with technology built for defense. Has the future of aviation already arrived? Or can this stock find new ways to reach new heights? Last December, we checked in with Air Environment. That's A-V-A-V. It's the maker of unmanned aircraft systems, think drones for the U.S. military and other purposes. At the time, the stock had caught fire, and there were some skeptics who doubted whether it could keep running. So we spoke to the CEO. He came right on here. He told a very compelling story. I bet those skeptics are kicking themselves now because since that interview 10 months ago, this stock, it's doubled. And it just keeps roaring. Last week, Air Environment reported a blowout quarter that sent its shares surging from $87 to $99 in a single session. Now it's at $111. They delivered a monster 56-cent earnings beat off of a 29-cent basis. Can you believe that? Magnificent 127% revenue growth. Stunning increase in their gross margins, what they make after the cost of goods sold, 25% to 42%. Even better, management gave very strong guidance for the full year. It turns out the drone business is even hotter than we thought. So can the stock keep roaring? Let's take a closer look with why. Wahid Dawabi, he is the president and CEO of Aero Environment, to hear more about the quarter and where the company's head. Mr. Wabi, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, Wahid. Have a seat. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much. Well, I've got to tell you, it's been spectacular. Uh, There was a time when some people questioned how you're doing, but it's pretty clear between the defense appropriations and some of these more commercial uses, this is a great time for your company. It's an exciting time. It's an exciting business, Jim, and we're very excited about the value creation opportunities of our business for both the defense markets as well as the commercial markets. Since I just met you last time, we have really repositioned the company right. uh, with the divestiture of EES and the uh, joint venture we formed with perhaps mobile with Joe SoftBank Corporation. We're now a pure play unmanned systems company focused on four future defining technologies, right. uh, robotics, software analytics, highly sophisticated sensors, and connectivity. Oh, so in other words, uh, well, why don't you speak of it in terms of Blackwing, what that would do and uh, use it through that, uh, sure. that prism? So if you remember last time, we, you saw the switchblade, which is right. made for you know, lethal, lethality right. of uh, protecting our troops. Mm-hmm. Blackwing is a variant of switchblade that is primarily designed for submarine applications. So this would actually fit into one of the orifices of submarine, existing orifices. It's already in- integrated with the command and control system of the submarine itself, so you don't have to carry a separate system with you. Okay. And with the push of a button, a submarine can launch this while it's submerged at the periscope level, and then it gives it visibility, eyes in the sky, essentially, far beyond what the periscope can see and without very little signature, with very little ability for the enemy or the adversaries to be able to find out. Okay, well, uh, how about if the enemy has drones? Well, all the drones are everywhere, as you know, yeah. but what we provide for our customers is very unique. We're unrivaled in the industry. Okay in terms of what we provide and offer to our men and women in uniform, as well as for the commercial markets. The ability to have these sophisticated sensors, reliability, Mm -hmm. ruggedness, small packaging, integrated systems and solution, 
all of that is exactly what we've, we have been doing for decades. And, and, and we're unrivaled in that space. And you just got, uh, there's a big appropriations bill, $113 million in the budget. I mean, obviously, uh, this is something that President Trump has clearly favored when it comes to military. Uh, we believe that, we've always believed in the, in the potential of our businesses in general. But now, I think after the several years of sequestration, mm -hmm. the U.S. government has realized that we need to really invest and upgrade our systems within our U.S. DOD forces. And so we represent 86% plus of the U.S. DOD's drones by inventory. Wow. As a company. So we're unrivaled in the space. And we invented these categories, and it comes from the decades of innovation that our engineers and scientists have put into these efforts, these solutions that we launched to the market. Okay, well, let me ask you about the, uh, the EV charging. When you were on last, you talked about it represents a significant large multi-billion dollar opportunity. You were the leading global provider of EV charging solutions. It just, just didn't work out? No, actually, it wasn't that, Jim. Jim but the, re the, real, the real reason for that was that we wanted to focus on the highest ROI opportunities okay. for our shareholders and for our business and our stakeholders. And after several reviews, we realized that we need to focus on things that we believe has the highest return for our investors long term. Okay. And that's why, and we still believe... That but, but it's no longer, I mean, you're, you're obviously your margins went up. Business. I figured the margins must go up in part because you are no longer in that business. The soft bank relationship, what will that give you? So we formed a joint venture with SoftBank Corporation to pursue the business of 5G and IoT globally. Okay. And what we are going to be doing in this, first, in this phase of this uh, joint venture is to develop and demonstrate a stratospheric airplane that is powered 100% by solar, solar power, energy. Right. And it's gonna fly on the edge of the atmosphere. And our, our environment has decades of expertise here. And it's going to beam 5G IoT connectivity for the seven billion people around the world. Wow. That's that true. is, think of it, Jim, as a super cell, cell tower up in right. the stratosphere and providing connectivity for everybody that needs it. Well, I mean, they, you could have hundreds of those. Well. The world is pretty large, as right, you know, right. and we could be flying this, of course. And we're really focused right now on this phase of the development, which is to develop and demonstrate this capability. Air environment has a very rich and deep history there. We've already flown. In fact, we have the world altitude record at over 96,000 feet with a solar-powered airplane that we did almost a decade and a half ago. Okay, so how about fires? How about the hurricane in South Carolina? What can first responders use? What emergency personnel? So we've always believed and we continue to believe that our systems and solutions, the way they're made, the Puma all environment, like you can fly it in thunderstorms, you can fly it in rain, you can dunk it in water and fly it back again, is, is really well positioned for the types of application that we hear about to these days. In fact, Hurricane Katrina, our drones were used after the aftermath in terms of the search and rescue missions that were there. Fires in California in the West Coast. Our systems are made for those types of really, really mission-critical, rugged applications. At the same time, a lot of our allies are buying yours. I know that, that the president has said, look, we want you guys to, to spend more. For instance, in NATO, Germany just made a big order. Portugal just gave you a big order. That was today's news, absolutely. Right. We announced a press release today that we won an important contract with the Portuguese army for our Raven systems. Now, international customers represent... Uh, over $100 million worth of our business wow. that we've announced last fiscal year. And the number of countries now have grown over 45 different countries and allied nations around the world, wow. depending okay. on our solution. Now, uh, agriculture, uh, I know we have a, 
uh, Olive Garden. It's hard to check each tree. I can only imagine what it must be. We were thinking about getting a drone. What it must be for uh, when you have thousands of acres. I mean, it would seem to be a natural application. So I believe, Jim, that similar to what we have done in the defense space in terms of our solutions for the men and women in uniform in our 45-plus allied nations, Quantix and AVDSS that you just firsthand experienced is a game changer for the commercial markets and initially focused on the agriculture industry. Yeah, makes sense. Yeah, the whole system is a great example of robotics, software analytics, sensors, and connectivity. Well, Incredible. I've, I've got to tell you, since we've seen you last, it just gets better and better, and the people who bet against you, wow, that's nasty. What happened to them? All right, that's Wahid Nawabi, president and CEO of Air Environment. This is an amazing story. We said it last time, right in the teeth of people who told us, you're wrong. I say it again right now. Mad Money's back after the break. Support for this podcast comes from Pluto TV. Need an escape? Drop into Pluto TV for a world of free TV. Stream hundreds of channels and thousands of movies and shows all for free. Yeah, free. No subscriptions, no fees. Imagine 24-7 channels of Narcos, CSI, Star Trek, Survivor, and everything else from hit movies to binge-worthy TV shows, the latest news, live sports, comedy, and more. What are you waiting for? Download the free Pluto TV app for Android, iPhone, Roku, or Fire TV and start watching now. Pluto TV. Drop in. Watch free. why I just can't bring myself to get that cautious about this market? Look at the rails. Since the end of June, the four major domestic railroads, CSX, Norfolk Southern, Kansas City Southern, and Union Pacific, have all caught fire, rallying anywhere from 10% to 17%. Yet they all, they all rallied double digits in less than three months, trouncing the S&P 500 over the same period. Now, you might think that would be unsurprising. After all, in an economy as strong as this one, the rail should be on fire. These are transports. They move stuff around. So when commerce picks up, you expect their earnings to pick up, too, which in turn leads to higher stock prices. That's why so many investors look at the, at the transports as the perfect way to test a rally's legitimacy. I always tell you that. The transports tell you the truth. When the rails are running, it tells you the economy is truly as strong as it looks. However, in reality, even though the economy's been terrific, the rails haven't been the greatest performers. Until the last few months, these stocks had spent most of 2018 marking time. So the fact that the rails have suddenly caught a bid is not just a big deal for this one industry. It's a big deal for the entire market. So how exactly did the railroads get their mojo back? And more importantly, can they keep it going? First, I need to say that all four of these stocks are very much their own animals. And every time I refer to the rails as a discrete cohort, it is a gross generalization. Union Pacific's been steadily working its way higher all year, the best performer of the group. And when the other rails were languishing, it was doing just fine. CSX lost its legendary CEO, Hunter Harrison, last December, and everyone expected the stock to get obliterated. But Harrison did such a great job laying the groundwork that this thing's been able to keep chugging higher even without his leadership. Norfolk Southern's been unremarkable for now, and Kansas City Southern's been a consistent underperformer because it has a lot more exposure to cross-border trade with Mexico than the others, and we know that's problematic with President Trump. Second, though, these companies and their stocks still have a lot in common. So we're going to make some generalizations anyway. 
When you look at the action in the group over the last 12 months, CSX, Norfolk Southern, Union Pacific have all trounced the averages, with only Kansas City Southern lagging slightly behind the Dow. But in this big but, outperformance came from two specific, fairly brief periods. Late last year, the railroad stocks folded higher in anticipation of a strong setup for 2018. Then the rally got derailed when President Trump suddenly got very tough on our trading partners. These railroads do a lot of business connecting our ports to the rest of the country, meaning they handle a lot of imports and exports. Anything that hurts trade hurts them. So the group spent most of this year trading sideways until the cohort finally started going full steam ahead over the past few months. Of course, 10 months ago, it seemed like the rails were unstoppable. From the middle of last October to the middle of January, they had some monster moves. Get this, Union Pacific up 25%, Norfolk Southern up 17%, CSX up 12%. Only Kansas City Southern got left behind. It's up to 6% over the same period. And look, investors had good reason to be incredibly optimistic about the rails. We had a booming economy, both domestically and worldwide. Everybody was talking about synchronized global growth, the first time the whole world was in great shape since the financial crisis. Again, when economic activity is off the charts, the rails can practically print money because they're moving so much stuff from point A to point B. Locomotives are the wheels of commerce. And yes, for uh, any history majors out there in the audience, that was a Ferdinand Brodell reference. Throw in the tax reform bill, and this group has had a lot going for it. But despite all that optimism, the railroad rally quickly faltered as the broader stock market sold off hard starting at the end of January. The rails attempted to rebound in February, but in March, the whole group got smacked down by a brand new issue, the president's multi-front trade war. Every time things escalated with China or with Europe, investors would worry about what it would mean for these stocks. Union Pacific gets a ton of business from ports on the West Coast. They'll be hurt by tariffs on Chinese imports. Norfolk Southern and CSX are East Coast railroads that that lose out when we have less trade with Europe. Kansas City Southern is all about moving stuff from Mexico to the United States, which made the stock tough to own when it seemed like President Trump might try to rip up NAFTA. On top of that, the rails had some serious service issues in the first quarter, aside from CSX, which had already restructured itself under the leadership of the late, great Hunter Harrison. But the other three major railroads looked like less efficient operators because their tracks were too congested. Hey, that's a high-quality problem. And they've been running all out for too long. So what turned things around? All right, first... The broader bull market in the transport sure helped. Thanks to the inexorable rise of e-commerce, there's tons of demand for trucks and trains. We've heard many companies complain about higher shipping costs, but that's good news for the railroads. It means they're getting more business and they're able to charge higher prices. Second, there's oil. The price of crude has held above $60 a barrel for more than nine months now, so producers have gotten more aggressive about pumping, and there's not enough pipeline infrastructure in this country to bring it all to market, which means it needs to be shipped by rail. We call it crude by rail. These positives helped fuel some phenomenal numbers when the rails reported in July. We got some bountiful top and bottom line beats from CSX, Norfolk Southern, and Union Pacific. Even though Kansas City Southern sales came in a little light, their earnings were still better than expected, more than enough to send the stock surging higher. Even better, the underlying volume and pricing trends were incredibly bullish. Again, this shouldn't have been a surprise, but it was a welcome reminder that there's more to these stories than tariffs and trade. Hey, speaking of trade, even when the tensions kept escalating, the rails continued to rally. Union Pacific barely blinked when President Trump told us he wants to slap tariffs on nearly everything we import from China. Why? I think some people believe we'll get a positive resolution here. President Trump certainly sounds very confident, even as his administration has agreed to new talks with the Chinese. But he's right that the trade war is hurting them more than it's hurting us. 
He also reached a deal with Mexico last month that will get us better terms on NAFTA as soon as Canada signs on. Kansas City Southern is the biggest winner if they can make that deal stick. But perhaps more important, like so many of the China-oriented industrials that have been bouncing lately, I think the rails are benefiting from a sense that the trade war will hurt less than many of the experts initially feared. The bottom line here, the railroad stocks are finally getting the credit they deserve now that Wall Street's not quite so terrified by the trade war. And look, even after this move, the rails remain pretty cheap. They're all selling for 16 to 18 times extra earnings estimates. I think they've got more room to run, and I think that Union Pacific is the best of the bunch. Austin in Tennessee, Austin. Hey, Jim. Austin from Nashville, Tennessee. I wanted to hear your thoughts on the Chinese electric car maker, NIO. Oh, my. Uh, okay, a- yeah. I mean, you know, I, I was just, it's so funny you mentioned that because I've been looking at it. I mean, the stock is just, I don't want to say it's quadruple because it's quintuple. I mean, it's crazy. Look, this is a dice roll. I'm not recommending any Chinese stock. This is a total dice roll. It's like betting on raindrops, and I'm taking raindrop A. Let's go to Matt in Georgia, please. Matt. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. Congrats on your Eagles victory over our Falcons last week. Go birds. It's early. Yep. My question tonight's on Norwegian Cruise Line. Um, Norwegian and other cruise lines have multiple new ships coming online, creating possible overcapacity. In addition, diesel pricing is forecasted to rise in the coming year. Right. Given these potential headwinds, do you feel Norwegian with its new CFO can, outbreak to, can break out to the upside? Or do you view the stock as a safe play, given the consensus that we are late in this economic cycle? First of all, uh, our viewers are incredibly smart, and Matt raises the key issues, which is uh, the overcapacity and the possibility of escalation in fuel. It's only going to get worse in 2020 when you have to head the sulfur, this, the new sulfur-adopted boats. Now, let me just say this, though. He's talking about Frank Del Rio is the CEO. I care more about that than the CFO, and I've got to tell you, Frank's got it totally under control, and I would be a buyer of Norwegian. Buy, buy, buy. I think it's cheap. I think it's well-run. I think it's a good stock to own here. All right, guys, it's all aboard when it comes to these rail stocks. They're benefiting from a cooling of trade war worries, not the actual trade war, but just the worries. And I think they could keep chugging higher. And this one, Union Pacific, is my fave. Much more mad money ahead, including my exclusive with the insurgent media company Barstool Sports. How much fun are they? How the company continues to stay on the offense and still is fun. And speaking of sports, the gloves are off. I'm telling you why I've had enough of the sports analogies in stocks and all your calls. Rapid fire tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. I said it before and I'll say it again. The millennials are already inheriting the earth. If you want to know what companies will succeed in getting their business you need to know what they like. That's why tonight we're going off the tape with a privately held company that has a phenomenal read on the younger male demographic. I'm talking about Barstool Sports, which has grown from a Boston-based sports gambling newspaper to a regional blog to a sports-oriented comedy, media, and advertising powerhouse. They've got videos. They've got podcasts. They've got their own pizza review app called One Bite. And just this past weekend, they aired the first episode of Barstool Sports Advisors, their gambling advice show. Thank you, Supreme Court, for legalizing sports. Uh, betting, we couldn't do it before them. On WPIX in New York and WPHL in Philadelphia, where I used to be on it, and WLVI in Boston. It also runs on FanDuel.com and Parcel's own website. Even though these guys are very edgy, that seems to be exactly what the demog- younger demographic 
likes. Do not take it from me. Let's check in with Dave Portnoy, the founder of Barstool Sports, and Erica Nardini, the CEO, find out more about how they do it. Mr. Portnoy and Ms. Nardini, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank Thanks you. Thanks for having us. Incredibly exciting time for you guys. Uh, multimedia company. Just give me the arc first and then tell me how it's working business-wise. So, started as a newspaper in Boston. I was handing them out outside subway stations. Started as a gambling newspaper. Ironically, we're full circle now with the gambling being passed. Uh, and slowly developed into multiple cities, Boston, New York, Chicago. Uh, and two years ago, two and a half years ago, we sold half of it to the Churning Group. Brought Erica on as CEO, and he's seen exclo- explosive growth really since then. Now, in terms of uh, revenues, this... the. Gambling's got to be big for you, but this one bite app yeah. seems like it's exactly what people want right now. How do you balance them? You know, I think we're doing a lot that people want right now. We just created a Snapchat show. It's a top-ranked Snapchat show. We're doing an Instagram really? show. Yeah. Really? Um, you said that very gingerly. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, we've had it live. You know, one bite's been live under a month. Our Snapchat show's been under, you know, two months. We continually innovate and deliver products every single day. We understand market fit very quickly, and we look to optimize and find unique ways to make money around those things. Isn't it amazing that, uh, look, Supreme Court legalizes gambling, okay? And yet almost no one wants to touch it except for the millions of people who want to gamble. It's been a natural for you guys. Yeah, uh, and, and to Erica's point, we start, what we do is we talk about things that people like, are interested in. I enjoyed gambling. I was a gambler. Before I started Barstool, I flew to Vegas and interviewed with casinos. So we're very good at just being, you know, covering stuff naturally, and then we react quickly. Well, what's legal? I mean, we weren't focusing on gambling. Hey, Supreme Court legalizes. Guess what? Let's launch a gambling show. That's kind of how we react. Move quick, nimble, and beat the bigger guys. All right, so how does it work? Uh, in terms of, yeah, I listen, I get the best ideas, then I, I place the bet? Well, sort of. Uh, listen, nobody's ever retired, I think, strictly gambling on sports or horses or anything like that, as far as I know. At least nobody I know, if you know, call me. But uh, we try to be entertaining. Combine real picks, real knowledge. Um, I enjoy it. We actually mimicked a show from the early 90s, the Sports Advisors, a guy, Stu Finer, who I grew up watching. and like, this show is unbelievable. Once they legalized gambling, we brought it back. So it's retro. Looks like you just stepped into the 80s. It's entertaining. It's different than what every other show is doing. When you turn us on, you know you are watching something else, and that's what we that's pride fun. ourselves in. Okay, so, Eric, I've looked at the app. The, yeah. Uh, and I've got to tell you, uh, if I were the people at Yelp, I would say, wait a second, one bite is what the younger people want. Yelp is my age. Yeah. Um, did you figure that out yourself just because people like to talk about pizza? I like to talk about pizza. You know, Dave likes to talk about pizza, so that's really where it started, where Dave was doing pizza reviews that were getting, you know, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of views. And including people who are never going to go to that pizza parlor. Including people who are never going to go to the pizza parlor, parlor, including people who had never heard of Barstool Sports. So Dave can speak to this better than I can, but he walks down the street and he's the pizza guy. And what people asked him about was, how can I find all the pizza places? So Dave's reviewed over 400 places. Now we're seeing you know, over 100,000 restaurants in under a month in this app. We're seeing 200,000 users, whereby they can find great pizza, they can see entertaining reviews, they can leave their own reviews, and they can find new places to order and have delivery from. Okay, Sarah, are you going to do a full circle, maybe uh, take a cut of the orders? Uh, we're have already taking a cut of the orders. You are already yes. taking a cut of the orders, and no resistance. People like it. People like it. People, we're helping people discover pizza. There's no uniform database for pizza in the U.S. Why shouldn't that be from us? Now, you want to stick with pizza because that happens to be your favorite food. Well, 
No, I, 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 yes, we want to stick with pizza. It is my favorite food, but I think the natural jump is you could go to Chinese food, Mexican, anything. Right, One that's bite. what I'm thinking. Because oh, I mean, yeah. oh, the yeah. format the is such that I want to tell people. Yes. See, I want, look, I own a restaurant. We're opening a, a pizza place. When, uh, now it, I know it, why it, you invited us. Yeah. <laughs> no, because no, my favorite food, Kali, which I know is uh, not your favorite. That's fit. deep in Brooklyn, and it opens at 5 o'clock, I think, every day, so it's a tough time, but that is number one on my hit list. Is, you like La Cali? I haven't been there yet. It's in Brooklyn. Oh, my. That's it's the impossible one to get it. I know so I can get on get a table. That and Tutano's. Those are the two that we're going to hit soon. Because <laughs> I love pizza so much. All right, now, last time when you were on, you gave me a gift. Oh, here and, we go. Oh, no, here we go. come on, I'm elephantine. Oh, I mean, go. you, you know, only because I love you. If I didn't like you, I wouldn't do it because it's just too mean. There we go. But it just, it, it turned out, to, it turned out, to, I need Hands you to up, say. I was wrong. Thank was you. Wrong. That's all I wanted. Listen, now I love you I even wrong. more. I was you, wrong. you guys are Credit fabulous. to me for making, admitting that. Uh, sorry, you're an inspiration to a lot of people, and you're doing what your heart desires, and you're making money. And I'll tell you the best thing you're funny, you're cool. You're what everybody wants to be. I appreciate okay, it. That's Dave Portnoy. He's the founder of Barstool Sports. And Erica Nardini, who's the CEO. Uh, look, private company, I can say it. I love these guys. <laughs> Their money's back there for the break. It is time. It's time for the light. We're going to Play that sound. And then the light round is over. Are you ready, Ski? That is time for the light round. I'm going to start with Khalil in Texas. Khalil. Hey, Tim. What do you think about Gilead? You know, it's real low. It's real cheap. It's got some decent drugs in the pipeline. I wouldn't sell it here, but I do not have any reason to recommend the stock. Let's go to Robert. Uh, no, uh, Cyrus in New York. Cyrus. Jim, calling from Columbia Business School, the birthplace of value investing. I wanted go. to get your take on Encore Capital. Defaulted loans, buying defaulted loans, very, very hard, hard business. You'd have to do a huge amount of work before you convince me that I that I should uh, buy that one. Don't buy. Don't How buy. about Robert in Massachusetts? Robert. Hey, Coach Kramer, how you doing? I am doing great. Thank you for calling me by my real name. What's up? I, I would like a little coaching on um, Tower Jazz, TSEM. They are uh, confusing uh, me so much. Yeah, but it's a foundry company, and foundry companies don't make a lot of money, and that's the problem. We'd rather be an AMD than a foundry company. Let's go to Keith in Michigan. Keith. Booyah. Booyah. And how are you this evening, Professor? Not bad. Thank you for asking. How about you? Uh, I'm pretty good, except for two problems. I'm so nervous, I almost forgot how to say booyah. Booyah. Well, that's and, fine. <laughs> and second of all, I... Uh, I'm in a little bit of a quandary regarding Chevron, CES. Well, look, Chevron, uh, the problem with Chevron, look, Chevron is a great American company, okay? And it yields almost 4%, and you're just going to hold on to it, all right? You're just going to hold on to it because it's a very well-run company, but it's not going to run away. That's the problem. May I suggest those who are looking for a little more yield, you should go with BP. Talked about that on my club poll today for Action Horse. Let's go to David in New Jersey. David. Good evening, Jimmy. I'm calling tonight about Manitowoc Company. MCW. Manitowoc. That was that Barry Penny. But Barry, um, yeah, that guy was. A, I like that guy, but the stock isn't doing anything. Um, I'm a little nervous about it. Uh, y- you need infrastructure. It's kind of like U.S. Concrete. You need infrastructure. Until you get infrastructure spend, it won't move. How about we go to Travis in Iowa? Travis. Kramer. Yeah. Michael Slimonis needs your help. Camping World. Uh, the stock was right around here when he was on, and, he, you know, he's got to come back. It hasn't moved. It hasn't moved. It's not down a lot from when we saw him, but uh, 
It has not come up, and a lot of the stocks in that area have started to do better. So we need to have more intel. Let's go to Cotton in Louisiana. Cotton. How you doing? Good, Cotton. How about you? I'm doing great. So I'm kind of a new investor. Uh, just kind of had a question. I was looking at uh, Weatherford. The past no, no, season. man. I'm having enough time at the Chapel Trust with the Slumberjay. The last thing you need is Weatherford. Hey, Stephanie Link, she likes the, the Transocean. This group is from hunger, okay? I can't. I can't get anybody in these stocks. It's from hunger. Let's go to Ken in Virginia. Ken. Jim, Ken. how are you? All right, you're up. What's up? Hey, I just want to say a long-time listener, uh, first-time caller, and your okay. show reminds me of Harry Gross's speaking of your money out of Philadelphia. Uh, Pop loved Harry Gross. He always told me Harry Gross was better than I was. Well, I didn't put it like that, but he made yeah. me feel like that. Ask my sister Nancy. She'll tell you that. What's up? Yeah, I was wondering about a stock called Unity. Uh, the symbol is UNIT. Very high-yielding real estate investment trust. So high-yielding that I have to throw the red flag where... Uh-oh, someone's thrown my red flag away. Oh, I've got the... Uh, oh, look at this. Quotations from Chairman Mao. That certainly comes... Doesn't this come in handy during a trade war? <laughs> All right. Um, don't know. Okay, let's go to Bill in Colorado. Bill. Booyah, Mr. Kramer. Booyah. How are you? I'm doing okay. I, I'm, uh, I was up at 3 o'clock today. I, did, I, 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 you know, I didn't get a nap. What's up? That doesn't sound like fun. Uh, no. Back when you liked Kinder Morgan, KMI. Well, I liked Kinder for a long time. Years. But you know what? They, they kind of did, did a lot of things to the balance sheet that I didn't like, and the stock is really flatlined. And again, just like I said earlier about some of the drillers, uh, you know what? The mass limited partnerships, they're awful. One more. Otto in Florida. Otto. Hello, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Of course. What's um, up? I'm calling from sunny South Florida. I appreciate it. all you do for you and your staff. Ah, my you. stock is GE. Do you think it's undervalued? I think that GE is still a wait-and-see story, but it does seem to have bottom, but it's a wait-and-see story. And that, ladies and gentlemen, conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Can we stop it with the sports analogies already? I'm as guilty as this as anyone, but I've got to tell you, I am so tired of hearing that we're now in the seventh inning of this rally, or it's the fourth quarter of this move for certain. And it's not just the bears who do this kind of thing. It's just as bad when someone, some bull comes along and says, we're still in the early innings. Repeat after me. The stock market is not a baseball game. There's no set number of innings. The game never ends. It just changes. So I'm going to stop doing this, and I hope everyone else will follow my lead because these sports analogies are profoundly misleading. See, in sports, you can't turn the clock back. A baseball game will never go from the seventh inning back to the fifth inning. In a football game, you can't be past the two-minute warning in the fourth quarter, then suddenly find yourself midway through the second. But in stocks, well, yes, you sure can. Right at this moment, I could tell you that some of these industrial rallies feel like they're in the seventh inning. Boeing was at 241 a year ago. Now it's at 355. Heck, we could be in the bottom of the seventh after hearing take me out to the ballgame even. Hold it. Hold it for a moment, though. What if these new low-level trade negotiations with China actually accomplish something? What if the weird story in the Wall Street Journal yesterday about how the Chinese are starting to play nice behind the scenes turns out to be true? What if, the chi- if China takes an order that was going to go to Airbus and gives it to Boeing? Then what inning are we in? The fourth? The second? 
It's simply not a helpful analogy. Or how about AMD, which is now up 196% for the year? For practically this entire run, I've heard that we're in the late innings for this one because AMD is a perennial, also ran chip maker, and the move simply can't last. Sure, today the stock got hit, a brutal reversal. But how do these bears explain themselves after being wrong the whole way up? Do they say we're still in the seventh inning? It's just the longest seventh inning in the history of the game. Do they tell us it's a brand new ball game? For those of us who believed in Lisa Sue and her $30 stock since it traded 11, I say thanks for nothing. What inning is it for the housing stocks, top of the ninth? How about the auto companies? Game over. How's that helpful? Of course, when someone makes sports analogies and it turns out to be right, everyone treats them like some kind of sage. Problem is, if you're a money manager, it always makes sense to come on TV and proclaim that we're in the late innings of this or that move. If you say that and then the market gets hit, you look like a genius. You're the man who called the shot. You're the new Bambino. But if the market keeps going higher, well, maybe that's just because we've gone into the eighth inning. The Bears always have a ready excuse. They're never wrong. They're just early. The Bulls, on the other hand, get held to a much higher standard. If you proclaim that we're in the third inning of a rally and then we get slammed, you're going to be a YouTube joke for the ages, an endless, continuous loop signaling the twilight, the ninth inning of your career. The best thing to do, lose the analogies. They bring nothing to the table. Instead, we should explain what needs to happen for the move to continue and what could cause the move to get derailed. And then you let things play out. No called shots, sound bites, no YouTube clips. But nothing to freak people out either. Listen, I bought my first stock when the Dow was at 820. Now it's at 26,000. I guess you could say the Bulls have dominated a very long game or even a long season. But what does that add to your understanding? In reality, lots of stocks have simply done very well over the long haul. And you would have missed, on, missed out on some massive gains if you listened to the so-called experts who claim we were in the seventh inning the whole way up. Stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Like a Kmart corduroy suit. <laughs> I don't you know what, first, Jim. I, Which I wore, by the way, to Goldman Jim. the first day. They gave me 500 to get out of here. What? Yeah, we, we've heard that story, actually. You know, <laughs> I know about the corduroy suit. <laughs> it all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. Sometimes it's tough doing a show in the late afternoon. Like, take IFF, International Flavors and Fragrances. They priced that offering. Remember the one that Mr. Fibbick talked about? They priced it, and you're up seven points. What a great sign for IFF, one of our absolute favorite companies that do so many things great with flavors and with fragrances. Like I said, there's always a bull market sober. I promise I'll fight it just for you right here on Man Money. I'm Jim Cramer, and I will see you tomorrow. 1980s New York. Five titans redefined the American dream. Helmsley, Bosky, Gotti, Trump, Giuliani. Greed was good, and they wanted it all. Empires of New York, narrated by Paul Giamatti. Series premiere November 29th at 8 Eastern, only on CNBC-TV.